This is the ERP Advisor. Today's episode, how to get the best deal on your ERP selection. Thank you everyone for joining us for today's call, how to get the best deal on your ERP software. Sean Wendell will be our speaker for today. Sean is the founder and managing principal of ERP Advisors Group based here in Denver, Colorado. ERP Advisors Group is one of the country's top independent enterprise software advisory firms. ERP Advisors Group advises mid to large size businesses on selecting and implementing business applications from enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, human capital management, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equate to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. There are only a few people in the world with the practical experience that Sean has gained with helping hundreds of clients across many industries with selecting and implementing a wide variety of enterprise software solutions. On today's call, Sean will discuss how to get the best deal on your ERP and the factors you must consider before signing on the dotted line. Sean, can I hand it over to you? Sure. Thanks, Juliet. I always appreciate your, your intros. Um, I wrote it, so it sounds really yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But, but it is it is kind of interesting. I was reflecting and preparing for the call today on the amount of deals that we do close each year or even um, since we've been in business. And uh, we we literally do tens of millions of dollars in software and uh, services, whether it's implementation services from the implementation partner or integration services or our own services, um, but that's per year. So, you know, since our founding, we've done well over $100 million of, of basically um, um, helping clients to determine what kind of deals they should get for their software. So so we know what we're talking about is kind of the basis of what I'm trying to get into. Um, and we've learned a ton um, during that um, that tenure in, in, in doing this work, and I'm really, really grateful to be able to share some of those insights and thoughts with you. And definitely look to the website here. We'll take the content that I'm going to talk to um, with our great marketing firm, and we'll go ahead and put that available, make that available online as some white papers and some other downloadable information. So please, please, please feel free to use this information. Um, you know, this is one of those calls that will probably save you um, a lot of money on your software deal. So we're really glad to be able to do that. So what I, what I'd like to do is. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, as I always try to on these calls, to kind of get you set up to where you need to be, and then we'll talk about um, the the types and kind of categories of negotiation factors that you have in doing any enterprise software deal. So that could be enterprise resource planning applications, like a big SAP or Oracle, um, all the way down to customer relationship management, professional service automation for services firms, um, HR software, don't care. It's it's all applicable, but enterprise software is definitely what we're going to talk about here. So hopefully, if you've listened to some of our other calls, um, you've gone through a good needs analysis process to uh, really understand what it is that your organization wants and needs for software. That's the first thing you've got to do, right? So do you need uh, HR software or just payroll or are you looking for talent management or do you also need to put in 
um, some applications around onboarding, just for instance, in the kind of that HCM area or for ERP, right? We, we talk about this a lot that ERP is a philosophical approach to deciding what kind of software to use across your enterprise. So hopefully you've done that work of saying, this is exactly what software we need, the kind of software that we need. Great. So that's done. You know what you need out of the software. Done, done, done. Phase one, done. Then you've done a really good selection process where you've, you've kind of written down your requirements. You've had vendors demonstrate as a demonstration script to you your exact requirements, not just have the vendors um, say, okay, well, show me what you got. Oh, don't ever do that with the vendors. <laughs> They're only going to show you the great stuff. Um, but if you say, show me this, 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 and this in the sequence that you want to see it, so maybe it's order to cash and exactly how your organization places orders and the processing of orders that happen and how you do fulfillment and how you do billing, and you push that out to them and say, show me how you would do that in your software. That's what you want to do for a demonstration process. Then you've also um, kind of worked through the um, the number of users that you needed for each module that they're suggesting that you have. So you want to make sure that, that you've got those modules that are required identified. Then you've also vetted the implementation team that's going to be doing your implementation. I've said this before, and I will keep saying it, that the implementation resources are so important you're basically betting your job on their capabilities. So you better make doggone sure you know who they are, you know their skill set, you know that they're going to be on your project, and you know that the lead from that implementation team that you have their cell phone uh, number and that you can call them anytime. So let's say you've been through all of those steps and you're down to the last vendor and you are absolutely certain that that software is the best fit for you. Now, you know there's going to be problems in the implementation. Don't kid yourself on that, for sure. But you know that you've done a really good process. Now is the time to start talking about negotiating software, the pricing and everything else that I'm about to get into. That's really, really important, guys, on the phone here, that you don't really want to get into the negotiation on software until you are absolutely certain that they're the best fit. <clears throat> now, you may do that with two vendors for sure, but in our selections, we're doing about five or six selections literally right now. We really don't do a final, final negotiation with, um, with, well, we only do a final, final negotiation with one vendor. We don't take the time to, to negotiate with a vendor that's just not a good fit. So, you know, you really want to get it down to that really last option that you know is the best fit. Okay, I've said that enough. <laughs> So let's say you get to that point. Now it's time to negotiate the deal. So here's, here's a couple things that, that I want you to understand. <clears throat> the deal is made up of usually about four or five components. So the first component is the software. So the software order form. Um, some vendors call it an order form. Some call it a quote. Um, but it's basically, here's the software that you're going to buy. That's the first thing. The second thing is a services statement of work. And sometimes you may buy that after you get the software, but it's always best to buy it at the same time. But that's the implementation services required to configure and to implement your software. That's the second thing. 
The third thing are general terms and conditions. So this includes things like warranties and um, other kind of more legalese um, that go into usually supporting the software, but there's terms and conditions documents. The fourth thing is a support contract. Almost every software vendor has some form of support that they offer, and so that'll be in separate document in a separate document or documents that um, that you have to in include in your um, your due diligence. And then the last thing can be hosting fees. So if you buy a product, a software product that's offered on-prem, but you want to put it at a hosting provider um, like a Flexential or somebody like that, um, then there's hosting fees that go with it. And even some of the vendors like um, Infor, for instance, when you buy software from them, they'll have a separate hosting fee agreement set. So so those are like kind of four to five areas of the deal. So again, those are the software order form, the services statement of work, general terms and conditions, support contract and agreement, and then potentially hosting fees that go with it. Now, some vendors may have other types of agreements too, but those are really the first four are the key categories that I really want to focus in on for this call. So, what is the software order form? That basically lays out what you're going to buy. So it could be the modules, the specific software versions or editions that you're purchasing, the number of users um, for those modules, um, and it usually lists like what's what's included as part of those modules. So it might say advanced pricing is made up of um, multi-tier pricing by different customer segments, da da da. There's like a description of the modules that are in there and then the number of users that you're paying for to use. Some uh, vendors do concurrent licensing, user license. Some do named or seat licenses. The difference basically there is the concurrent license says, we don't care how many people use the software, but you can only use it up to 20 users or up to 100 or up to 500 users. Um, whereas other applications, other vendors will sell specific seats. So this is the number of users that you have. You have 20 seats, and they don't even care <laughs> if those 20 people use the software or not, but they basically those individuals have the ability to use the software. So it lists what you're buying. It also lists the terms of the software as well as the payment terms for the software. So we talked about what you're buying, modules, users, et cetera, um, you know, how much basically of, of the modules that you're buying. Um, the terms of the software would include the length of time that you're buying the software for. Um, so a lot of our um, contracts um, are with applications that reside purely in the cloud. They're called software as a service, multi-tenant applications. So SaaS, basically you hear that phrase a lot. What that basically means is you pay for the software every year. Now, you may um, get a 36-month term on your software. So you're basically saying, yeah, I'm going to contract to use your software and pay for your software for 36 months. Um, but, um, yeah, but so, yeah, 36 months is the term of the use of the software. Then you might negotiate also what happens at the end of that 36 months. So renewal terms are usually defined in the uh, software order form, as well as the discount that you're getting on the software. And then um, the other thing that's kind of listed in there are payment terms too. So 
All of those items are kind of basically levers that you can pull in your negotiation. Don't just focus on getting the best discount as part of your software negotiation. I can't stress that enough. What matters more often is, hey, let's get a good discount, but then let's lock that in for a longer term. So instead of a one-year term, let's go for three years or let's go for even five years. Some vendors will even go 10 years on this contract. Um, but the, the key thing about the term of the software is you are locked in at that software price throughout that whole time. Now, what a lot of savvy clients will do, and what you all better do because you're on this call, <laughs> is negotiate the renewal terms also. So at the end of, let's say, a three-year term, what happens? And very often you can say, look, let's put a cap in, a 2% increase, um, and, and then you can even say, at the end of this first term, I want a renewal cap that's 2% on a, on a renewal term that's also 36 months or three years. So you might have six years basically locked up with a bit of a renewal in the middle. And then that gives you the ability after the three years to say, well, maybe we got bigger and we need to get into a bigger application. So again, key terms to look at for the software order form are what you're buying, the number of users, the length of time of the, the contract, the renewal terms, and the discount, and then the payment terms. So those are kind of the key items. I could probably do a call on just discounts and also on payment terms. Um, but let me leave you, let me leave that area, I should say, and go on to the statement of work with just two more thoughts. On the discount, software is one of those businesses where the margins are super, super, super high, right? The cost of service or cost of goods sold of software is very, very minimal. <laughs> you write the software once and then you sell it to a ton of people. And yeah, you got to pay for a bunch of hardware to run it and all that stuff. But just know that there's some good room on your discounting that you can get. So if a vendor says, I'm going to give you 10%, um, fine, they're going to start with a discount percentage, but know that they can go more. Can they go 80%? Well, we've gotten that for some clients, but it was a very unusual um, circumstance. Um, but, you know, vendors are willing to go 25% easily. Um, that's a minimal amount. Very often, we're able to negotiate the whole deal, not just the software, to basically pay for our fees for our clients. Um, oh, I'm sorry, one last thing on, on the software order form, too, is the payment terms. So don't pay for your software <laughs> um, up front. If, if there's any way that you can push out that the payment terms on your software so that you basically get some value from the software first before you have to pay for it, that's always better. Um, I could do a whole call on that. So um, if you need more information on that, just let us know. We can talk through that. Okay, a couple more areas here to cover. I think we're doing good on time. Uh, we may do a follow-up call on this too if there's enough interest, just let us know. So the next kind of area of the body of the deal is the services statement of work. And oh my gosh, I, I, wish, I wish you could all see all of the lessons that I've learned in my mind right now so that you don't make these mistakes. Lots of focus goes into the software contract, and then the services is like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and, you know, we trust you guys. Ooh, um, it doesn't work that way. But what basically makes up a services statement of work are the exact services that you're purchasing. 
So when we're talking about buying software, the services are the services to implement the software, which may include project management, <clears throat> the analysis and requirements design, um, time, configuring the software, testing the software, go live, post go live support. All the things you would expect to be in there. But what you really, really have to watch out for are the following three things. Training. So, oh yeah, we'll do your training. Okay, that sounds great. And then they put in the contract, we'll train your trainer. Okay, good, done. Now you get into your implementation, you're rolling along, and the software somehow turns out okay, and now it's time to train everybody. And they say, okay, we'll train your trainer. What do you mean train a trainer? Well, they're going to train one person, and then that one person has to go train the thousands of employees that are impacted by the software. And you're like, what are you talking about? And they said, that's what was in the contract. So very often the implementation vendors will not include a lot of time for training. So watch out for that. And that's okay if you know it. Um, just be aware of it. Data migration. Um, <coughs> um, data migration is, is, is kind of like the, uh, um, the, the, the Tesla to uh, the, the gas-powered engines, right? Um, data migration to us is, is like a form that is very, very sticky. Fortunately, we've been through this a million times, so we know what to look out for. But if you look at like a, a large-scale professional services firm that has hundreds or thousands of projects that are in flight, and when you go to, do, to go live with the new app, all those projects have to be moved over because people are billing time to them still. So you can't just say, oh, we're not going to bring over all the old projects. Well, fine, you don't have to do that, but you have in-flight projects, projects that are open that have to get moved. Who's going to move them? Who's going to go to the old system and figure out the data structure in the old system to be able to then extract those projects out and then um, convert them or transform those projects into the new format for the new system, and then someone's got to upload them into the new system and make sure they get uploaded, and then someone has to review those projects in the new system to make sure that the uh, year-to-date billings in the new system are the same as the old system. Much less, we've had a large-scale engineering firm we worked with that had extremely complex revenue recognition rules on their projects, so then they had to make sure the rev rec uh, was set up the same in the new system as the old. So data migration can be a bear, and a lot of times the vendor will say, we'll help you to load your data. Well, who's going to help me to get it out? Who's going to help me to clean it? Who's going to help me to transform it? And then even when there's a problem, the vendor pushes the import button, and then it, 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 it bombs or it errors out, who's going to fix that error? They're going to come back to you and expect you to fix that. So really be aware of what you're getting with your data migration for sure. And then the last real gotcha in the statement of work on what's included are customizations. So during the demonstration process, uh, we have a, a large steel distributor, for instance, that we're working with right now that has some very complex requirements around how steel is cut and some other things. We know that's going to be a customization. So we're able to, to tell the vendors, you need to scope that out now and put it into your statement of work going forward. So we know what that customization cost is going to be. The only problem is, in reality, the vendor is going to spend like an hour maybe asking a bunch of questions, and then their guy's going to sit back or their gal's going to sit back in some conference room and say, well, it's 300 hours. And then you say, where'd you come up with that from? And it's usually a wag, you know, a wild whatever guess. Um, but they have lots of experience and da-da-da-da-da, so fine. 
Um, but, but we often asked our vendors to say, just show us your assumptions that went into building your customization estimates. Oh, well, we're going to have to create a couple new records, and then there's some code that does this, and then we have some new fields that do that, and then there's an interface with the AR module that does this. Oh, and then your estimate was 300 hours. Yeah, that makes total sense. Great. Well, but what about training on it because it's new? Oh, you're right. You know, estimates are only going to go up on customizations, but you need to at least make sure if you have customizations in scope that they're they're part of that statement of work. So those are the three gotcha areas in the statement in the services statement of work: training, data migration, and customization. So look out for those. Now, related to the services statement of work, what levers do you have to pull? What negotiation points do you have to pull with the statement of work? There's certainly just the number of hours that are included in it. There's always the rate, which is usually an hourly rate that most of the services are based off of. Um, and then there's also payment terms on the services. So on the rate, let's talk about that. Um, we really prefer hourly projects. Um, we have a lot of clients and um, we work with private equity firms and private equity firms, I think, are, are notorious for this. They want a fixed rate. And what they're really saying is, is, um, you know, when when we increase the scope, we don't want to pay for it. <laughs> um, that's not just private equity firms, but um, you know, an hourly rate keeps everybody honest. Um, you know, sometimes, um, well, we will always ask the implementation vendor um, to give us an, a, a weekly report on what their actual hours were on the project, whether it's fixed fee or hourly. So we know exactly how many hours are going into the work. But when you're negotiating a deal, it's better to see all the components that make up some gigantic number. And so if you're doing an hourly, you can see, oh, well, they're estimating 200 hours for analysis and, and 400 hours for configuration and 200 hours for testing and then five hours for training. <laughs> That's that's how you know, wait a minute, five hours for training, we have thousands of users, like what's going on here? Then you can dig into it a little bit more. So we like the visibility of hourly projects, but um, you know, I'll talk in a minute here about some tips for negotiations too on that. So I'll get to that in just a moment. Another really key thing on the services statement of work are the payment terms. Please, 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 I can't say that enough. Don't pay for a lot of services upfront ever, especially in software projects. So some firms may ask for a small deposit just to help with kind of their, their payment, their basically their, their contractor payments or employee payments, fine, maybe 10%, okay, fine. But really anything beyond that, and you start to lose leverage over the vendor. Now, it's not just leverage like, oh, you delivered a bad product, so I'm not going to pay you. That That's usually not the problem. The, honestly, the problem anymore is we, we contracted with you guys. Where the heck are you? Like, you're supposed to be doing our project, but your people aren't spending time with us. Where are they? Well, they're just busy with other clients that are yelling more than you are to get their resources, to be honest with you. That doesn't happen with our clients, by the way, when we're managing the implementation. But, um, you know, the payment terms are, are always best when they're based off of a milestone or certainly in arrears for actual time that's incurred. So, so definitely, definitely make sure your services payment terms are not too much in advance. Okay, so 
software order form and services statement of work are two key areas, um, kind of components of the deal. The third component are general terms and conditions. Now, these general terms and conditions are definitely, there's a lot of legalese that's, that's put into these software contracts. And um, I, I'm, yeah, my, my, my wife works with, with me in the business here, and she, she loves my dating analogies. So I, I always love for software contracts to give this analogy that I basically say to my wife, honey, I can't warrant that I'm going to do anything good that all the reasons why you married me, I'm really not going to do them, and that at any given time, I'm probably not going to be able to deliver what you really want. But go ahead and sign here and say that you're agreeing to this relationship, please. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 maybe you guys are getting away with that, but I'm not. Uh, if anybody knows my wife on the calls, you know I'm not getting away with that. But um, literally, the warranty language that's in these general terms and conditions, is it, 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 it's horrific. Like, I just pulled up a vendor that I won't name um, a specific name other than they're called Intact. And the company says here, um, Intact disclaims all warranties with respect to the services, system, and documentation. Um, let's see for a particular, yeah, this, so they basically disclaim all warranties to any implied warranty or merchantability, fitness for a particular purpose or non-infringement. So they agree that, that Intact um, uh, party will solely individually responsible to comply with the laws. They're, they're basically saying here that you're buying the software as is, and we can't warranty that the reason why you're buying it is that it's, it's actually going to do what you wanted to do. Now they all, and that's not just, I just happen to look at Intact. NetSuite's the exact same. Oracle is terrible. SAP is a joke. Microsoft is like, are you kidding me? All of them. Infor is like, really? They're all that way. They all have those disclaimers of warranties. And, um, and I mean, I'm getting kind of raw here, so I suppose I should watch it. I get pretty worked up for my clients here. Anyway, um, the, the thing about it is that language isn't going to change. Now, the reality is if the software doesn't work, clients will stop. They will first, they will call, they will complain, you'll see stuff on the internet, and then they'll just start dropping off the apps like flies and just leave it. They will. And so it's the market that keeps these vendors in check. It's not these damn legal agreements, to be honest with you. It's the market that says, yes, you are, your software is up and it does what it's supposed to do, so I'm going to buy it more and more and more and more, thankfully. So... Anyway, just know that language is there. There's a bunch of other stuff in the terms and conditions. I'm just looking through an SAP contract right now. And they usually have like um, billing terms and that kind of thing can be listed in there. So if you change the billing terms, which you really should try to, just make sure it gets updated in these terms and conditions documents as well. But but know that a lot of the legalese that's in here will take uh, uh, legal counsel uh, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to change them, so you just kind of don't. But just just be aware of it. Um, the limitation of liability is another one that's like, what? Are you kidding? But that's just kind of the way this industry works. It's a bit embarrassing, honestly. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> oh, the other thing to look for in general terms and conditions is also the software availability. So how how much is the software supposed to be available? Well, it's 99.9% .9 of the time. But notice there's language in there that says outside of maintenance windows. Oh, well, when are the maintenance windows? Well, it's four hours every week. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> so again, 
just take a look to those general terms and conditions and know what you're getting yourself into. Um, just a couple things here, and then I'm just going to wrap up. The last component of the um, the deal is called the support contract. So you really do want to understand what kind of support you're getting from the vendor to support your um, your product. Sometimes you don't buy any support. Other times you can buy platinum or 24-7, you have your own account representative who's helping you. It kind of depends on how big the software deal is and how much complexity you have. Um, but know that you are making that support decision, and it's part of the agreement, too. And then things like hosting fees and some other technology fees, those are kind of just independent or dependent, pardon me, on each deal, and those can be a little bit different. So just know that there might be a technology component that you also part, uh, have as part of your software agreement and your overall kind of deal. So again, the, the four or five areas of the deal, the software deal, are the software order form, the services statement of work, the general terms and conditions, the support contract, those are all for sure, and then there may be hosting fees or some other technology thing. Look at all of them, for sure, for sure, for sure. And then um, just quickly, I know we're right at our time here, but let me just spend the next two minutes uh, mentioning just a couple other tips and tricks here for negotiation. Um, you have to really look, here's the first one. You have to really look at discounts, renewal caps, payment terms as levers. And if you pull one lever down, you might not be able to pull the other one down as far. So if you're really shooting for a big discount, the vendor might not be willing to give you better payment terms. So you have to really look at what's best for you. If cash is an issue, maybe pay payment terms pushing those out are more helpful. So pull that lever more than discount. And honestly, the more software you buy, the better your discount's going to be, always. So that's that's definitely a big factor. And then when you're negotiating on software costs, you really can go pretty deep, like probably even deeper than you think. But you'll know when you go too deep because the software salesperson will really start to push back on you pretty hard. Not just, oh, we can't do that, but like, I'm going to get fired if I try to do that. <laughs> like, so you want to take the indicators from from the software person that you're negotiating with. Um, now, negotiating services costs, though, can be totally different. If you're buying services from a large company, like an Oracle or a NetSuite or Intact or SAP, they have a lot of room that they can do also on those deals. But if you're buying from an implementation partner, there's not as much room there. And, and you're now dealing with an entrepreneur, usually of a smaller organization, $25 million or less company, and and if you ask for too much of a discount from your implementation partner, you're going to get what you pay for. So really keep that in mind for sure. Don't push those guys too far because then they won't support you. Terms and conditions, like I said, not much you can change on those, but look at the rate caps, the term of the contract. Those are things you can change. And then, um, you know, remember, you, you have a lot writing on your software and your services, so don't push the negotiation too far. It's not one of those times to try to prove your capability as a negotiator, you want to get a good deal for sure. Just don't push it too far because it will come back to haunt you. You will need help down the road, and you want to have a great relationship with those that you've worked with and make sure that they're willing to help you. So, you know, definitely be fair, but also be super informed, and so you know what you can negotiate on or not. And I hope that this call will help you with that. And definitely, any questions, let us know. We're here for you all. We can do a, a consultative call for 15 minutes and give you a ton of advice that would be helpful. So thank you, Juliet. Back to you. Sean, that's a lot of great information. Thank you. You bet. Thanks.
Thank you everyone for joining us for today's call. Um, and as Sean said, definitely let us know if we uh, can answer any questions you have. You can email us, call us, contact us through our website. Uh, our next call is April 10th, what to do when you need to replace your records management system. So be sure to join us for that. Um, we'll discuss the key factors to consider if you are thinking of replacing your RMS. Uh, please go to our website, erpadvisorsgroup.com, for more details and to register. Thanks again. ERP Advisors Group is one of the country's top independent enterprise software consulting firms, advising mid to large sized businesses on selecting and implementing business applications, including ERP, CRM, HCM, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equate to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. This has been the ERP Advisor.